now broadcasting live via Ustream or downloaded directly to your mobile device. Bagdenboard.com presents the Bagdon Boardcast. Oh my goodness, and that is crazy. Why are we friends with Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm glad I didn't get slapped. I'm glad your mom wasn't here. Uh, you said your parents don't listen to this. He just looked at me like, I really want to punch him. It doesn't work if you're not wearing Why? a mariachi suit. Uh, we're not wearing a mariachi suit. I don't know. Hey, guys. And what you just heard there was a throwback, because today we're celebrating the 500th episode of the Bagging Broadcast. And that was actually our original opening sting that we had for a while with with some of our greatest hits of uh, quips. <laughs> yeah, and those were all done within the first 10 episodes. So we've been riding high on the hog ever since. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also we also stopped using that. But you know what? Hey, guys, congrats. 500 episodes. Uh, John, you, you put it down 13 years to give it a time frame. That's, that's a lot of podcasting. Yeah. So at 500, we're not introducing ourselves? No, I was saying... I was doing it how we were doing it before, where we're actually <laughs> self-congratulations, and then we'll get into it. Well, before we did our names, and then you hit the play button. No. No. I'm John! No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul, and there's also no before. If it's not recorded and on the show, there is no before, so don't worry about it, listeners. You guess we are, it, we, it We've done this 500 times, but hey, we've also done we were, this in truck. We were... Three minutes in, and somebody wasn't recording. It's okay. It was me. I realized I hadn't hit the record button. It's fine now. Hey, we're here. I'm Chris, and we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being the Week in Geek, bringing the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list of comic books that we are looking forward to coming out November 16th, 2021? 2022. 2022? That's why I was questioning it. <laughs> well, then we follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic. And this week, in celebration of the 35th anniversary of the soup... No, not the Super Nintendo. The regular Nintendo system. I thought you were going to say the Soup Nazi, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I like to switch our topic. Uh, <laughs> but in celebration of the original NES's Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, uh, celebrating 35 years of making little kids just throw their controller in frustration we're gonna be talking about our video game tkos these are gonna be the video games that were too hard that made us rage quit maybe we just gave up on it or maybe we just stopped playing for one reason or another yeah interesting topic i th i think all the video games i'm going to talk about you guys have heard of i don't think i'm bringing out anything too crazy paul that's never stopped you from talking about anything before <laughs> that's very true but uh and something you also can't stop us from doing is drinking. Hey. hey. Except if you're Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, what are you not drinking? Well, I am drinking. It's just that I'm not drinking anything with alcohol. I'm drinking um, two non-alcoholic beers tonight. Uh, the first being which, being which uh, Harpoon. Open leak. This is uh, Harpoon had their rec league, and then they had that variety pack that I really liked um, last year. And then when I saw a non-alcoholic version of this league style IPAs I was like yeah I'm in on it I'm good it, uh, it says the buzzer beater so you know let's get it because the 
buzzer beater. It, it beats. You guys get it. Okay. Mm. 35 calories. Um, the thing with IPAs that are, are pale ales or any of these hoppy non-alcoholics, the hops always taste very bright and floral. It's, you know, it doesn't have a richness. It doesn't have that maltiness. It doesn't have any kind of like complexity to it. It's just that one flavor note and it coming it kind of comes across a little sweeter than a, a standard beer. Um, it's okay. It's good. It's passable. Uh, on Saturday when I was getting a ton of stuff done around the house, I had three of these. So, um, whoa, slow down there. I know. Well, they're 35 calories per can, you know? So, uh, it's decent. It's, it's, it's all right. Like, does it beat out some other, like, non-alcoholic beers I've had before? No. Would you buy it again? Yeah. Because if it's on the shelf, it's it's decent enough. If Running Wild from an Athletic Brewery isn't there, or Run Wild, I'll probably pick this up again. It, it would enter into that rotation of my non-alcoholics. So, it's decent. John? Uh, I am... Uh, any, any, uh, any warnings you want to give the listeners about keeping beer too long? Uh, always, I have a whole cellar full of beer that I wish I drank a lot sooner. <clears throat> but Paul stopped doing the podcast with me in the same location, uh, so I have my fault. no one to share this beer with. So I'm drinking a 12 percent beer by myself, uh, and this is from Firestone Walker. This is their 21st anniversary ale, uh, and this is a blend. Of five different beers that they brewed over that year. And I believe the big highlight of this is the Velvet Merkin aged in rum barrels. Um, <clears throat> the beer is blended in. If I still had the box, I probably have the piece of paper somewhere. Uh, but it comes with a sheet of paper that says specifically how much of each beer uh, is in the percentage of, of it. Um, and this is good. It's definitely, you can tell that it is not, the flavors aren't as strong as they should be. And this beer was brewed in 2018, or well, the beer was blended in 2018. Um, some of the beers might have been brewed in 2017 and aged in barrels. It's still good. It's considered a strong ale. It's a nice dark beer. Uh, mainly because the Velvet Merkin is mostly a, a stout. It's got really nice caramel notes on the nose. And it's just this faint caramel raisin taste to it. And the longer you stay away from it, the flavors come out on your tongue more, and you're like, ah, you know what it is? Oh, it, it, it's pretty good. And then you take that sip and it's like muted versions of what just came like just came on your tongue. Uh, appeared on your tongue after taking your sip. Um, sad that I let this go this far. But like right now I'm getting like a really nice coconutiness on my palate, which is probably from the rum barrels. Like it was very silly of me to sit on this for so long. 
But I also like reached my hand into a box and pulled it out and went, oh, okay, I'll drink this. There you go. Uh, Chris, did you yes. reach your hand into anything to and then go say, I- I'll drink this? Uh, I reached it into my refrigerator to say I will continue drinking this because this is actually a beer that I bought yesterday and I cracked it open last night to try it because it is a it's a smaller bottle like it's a just a pint sized bottle but it is 12.9% and this is coming from Smog City Brewing Company out of Torrance California and this is their Buzzworthy and this is a bourbon barrel aged imperial honey stout um this was bottled in 2021 so it has further aged and this is actually an award-winning beer for the folks over at smog city who teamed up with moonlight meadery to brew this beer and this is absolutely fantastic um when i was looking it up online it made me a little bit sad though because you can order this from them directly for 16 dollars for the bottle Um, i bought this for myself as a celebration of 500 episodes. 25? It was 26. Oh, okay. So I, th- I think it was like 25.99, or it might have been 26 and change. Um, but again, like this was a special occasion beer for me, so I was okay. I went into mm-hmm. my beer store expecting to get something a little bit pricier to celebrate. Now that I know... I. If I had gone to California, I could have gotten this for $16. I feel a little like, well, now I feel less about it. But this is fantastic. That alcohol definitely does sneak up on the back end because right up at the front, it's all just delis- like delicious, like smoky stout. And then you get a really nice, rich honey sweetness. And then on the back end, it's like, oh, there's, there's that bourbon barrel aging coming in. Um, but it's really good. Uh, I would say it's definitely like 10 steps up from taking a stout and <laughs> putting maple syrup in it. I don't know why that keeps popping back into my mind, but it's cuz it's um, something you did. We split yeah. we split half this bottle last night and I really enjoyed it and drinking the last bottom part of it now, I'm really enjoying it. And there's also not as much left as I thought, so I'll definitely be able to have a couple more beers later on in the evening to celebrate in style. Well, Chris, it cost you ten more dollars than it would have if you bought it in California. But as an economics major, I can tell you that if you tried, if you went to California and bought it for sixteen dollars, the airlines would have charged you forty for a checked bag. So that's true. This was just a smart investment on your part. You saved thirty dollars. It does you seem saved like thirty dollars. It does seem like they're a smaller brewery too just looking at their website like they do have stuff that you can just they have like a subscription service where you can have it delivered in california or you can go to the brewery and pick it up but (laughs) they just have food trucks come it doesn't seem like this is like a huge place like they opened up in 2011 so they've been around for a little bit but um they're definitely a name that if i do see them pop up in my beer store again i would definitely grab it just based off of this (laughs) so Good on you, Smog City. Kind of sad about your name, though, because California, air quality, oof. Oh, I thought you were just mispronouncing Schmaug from The Hobbit. No? I was not. You know, uh, The Hobbit. Yeah, Yeah, how do do you segue from that, Paul? Uh, The Hobbit movies 
more importantly, the Lord of the Ring movies, very long run times. Wow. Famously long, right? Uh, guess what? We got another one to add to the list of famously long movies. Uh, Avatar, The Way of Water, is going to clock in at three hours and ten minutes. And if you do the math, that's 190 minutes. And I so <laughs> just so happened. 190 minutes, man. You did, it, did the math. I went over to IMDb, and guess what? You can so- sort the top 100 or top 250 movies by runtime. This will put Avatar the way of lo- lo- uh, water number 10 on that list. Guys, you want to take some shots at the... Um, I, I don't think I can participate in this because I literally just Googled the original Avatar's runtime just out of curiosity because mm-hmm. I, I don't know um, how long that movie was because I've, I've watched it, I think, twice on DVD, but it's just been on in the background. The original one was only two hours and 41 minutes, which is still a... A really long movie, but dang. So this is this is number ten on the list. So you got well, this the, will be number ten on the list. I have the list right in front of me. You got the Lord of the it, Rings movies. It beats out the Green Mile by one minute. Well, Titanic was three hours and fourteen minutes. I know that just as a random fact, not because I read it off my computer screen. <laughs> uh, but that's not one of the top. No, the Lord of the Rings. They made sure they were under three hours, right? Yeah. Uh. Um, so you had the Avengers Endgame? That's, uh, shorter. Uh, Avengers mm. Endgame is only 181 minutes. <clears throat> Gone with the Wind? Uh, number 13 on the list. Gone with the Wind, number one, with, uh, 238 minutes. Uh, for some reason, when you search Avatar Runtime, at least for me, it tells me people also search for Avatar Way of Water, which three hours, ten minutes, Titanic, three hours, 14 minutes, and then it's showing me the Avatar, the last Airbender movie at one hour and 43 minutes. Maybe because that movie feels like it takes forever. Zing. Got him. Got him. Got him. All right, Paul, what are the rest of the movies? I got number one. That's all all that matters. Yep. Once Upon a Time in America... Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Dr. Zhivago, right? Uh, Seven Samurai. Now, this is from IMDb. This is the top 250 min, uh, movies of all time by, I guess, Metascore. I have no idea how, they, how they're how they rating it, by their rating. Um, the Godfather Part 2. Lord of the Rings. The Return of the King is number seven. Schindler's List is number eight, then Gandhi at number nine, so then Avatar of the White Water would be number ten. Yeah, a lot of movies that I don't want to sit down and watch besides Lord of the Rings. Titanic. Lord of the Rings. Titanic, no. I've I've seen Titanic it's once. Not even on the list. So I must not be on a good list. Right, go I saw Titanic once. I did not get all the the clatter about it, it wasn't bad. I just, it didn't do anything for me. I know special effects, like it, it was a leap ahead of everything else at that time. But yeah, not a huge fan of it. No, I never got into it. I think I've watched it once, and I don't think I watched all of it, if you know what I mean. I had a makeup. You only watched the parts with Billy Zane. Yeah, because yeah, I, totally I love Billy that. Zane. Uh, no, I had some fucking, te- the fucking phantom guys. I had some teenage makeout session during it. it, it, it. <sighs> well, John, as as an adult, I don't think you should be making out with teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> it, was, it was just last week. As my That's dad was. Yeah. Um, um, this one, one I, I I didn't see I, Avatar in theaters. This one I might go to check out though. I, I care less. I don't think I've ever. I haven't finished watching the first Avatar movie. I don't care about this. It's and I feel no, like you're we, supposed to talk about like spent, video games. I feel like we spent way too much time talking about the runtime to a movie that hasn't come out yet. I thought it was going to be. I thought it was fun. It was news. We. It's a light week. Chris, you said you wanted to have fun with some other news. Yeah, um, because we just got some news out from over at Lucasfilm with one of their next Disney Plus streaming shows with The Acolyte. We have the full cast list for it has been uh, released. Uh, some of the notable names on here are Carrie Ann Moss, uh, Manny Jacinto, who you might know from um, The Good Place. Oh, okay. Um, and then Lee Jung Jae from Netflix's Squid Game. Um, everyone else, I do not know their names, but there's people in here from Logan. Uh, Russian Doll, 1917. Uh, but we also got the uh, synopsis for it, which says this show is actually going to be a mystery thriller that's going to be focusing on the final days of the High Republic era, where a former Padawan reunites with her Jedi Master to investigate a series of crimes, but uh, puts them in line with forces they cannot confront because they're more sinister than they ever anticipated. Uh as soon as they announced this show years ago, everyone kind of was like, oh, the Acolyte, the writing's in red. It's going to be about the Sith. And it seems like it will be pulling on those threads. But it's also kind of funny that just last week we actually had the new story break that Disney talked to Lucasfilm about, hey, guys, can you just stop announcing stuff? Because you keep announcing all of these things. And then you have to cancel them for one reason or another, and then people get mad about that. <laughs> Which makes sense, because there's a lot of stuff that they've announced. Uh, we've talked previously about the Patty Jenkins like Rogue Squadron movie that's yeah. fallen off the table. Who knows if that's ever going to be happening. We still haven't heard anything about the Ryan Johnson trilogy. trilogy. Uh, supposedly Damon Lindelof's one of the next people that's going to be working on a Star Wars movie, but... Who knows if this is one that's already been announced or if this is something else that maybe they've had in the pipeline. Um, it seems like the TV shows are the only things that once they announce, it's a go-ahead because I think they have such a short lead time. It's easier for them to get those moving. But I'm, I'm okay if they stop announcing stuff, if they play this like Marvel does, where it's like, hey, these are the big tent poles. These are definitely the ones that we're building towards and working on. Because there's still a bunch of Marvel movies that we don't know about. Because when they announce it, it's just like, and we have a movie coming out May 6, 2025. Okay. Like, they don't need to tell us what it is because people are just going to be excited that something's coming out. And when they have to do the inevitable shuffle to make things work, yeah, they still have a movie coming out then. Yeah. This, this, this is news for the sake of... It's something to talk about. And that's why I thought it'd be fun to talk about. Yeah. I mean, when you actually have the casting, then you know it's actually in the it's in the works. Uh, they, they put up a production still where it's actually um, the, the showrunner or director, I don't know who it was, actually 
with the cast, like running lines on set. So I think, nice. I think this is a lockdown, guys. Well, also, you know, it's a Star Wars thing, so it could be the director getting fired and being replaced by another director. Oh, sorry, guys. You don't know what's they're, happening. They're letting picture. me go. Yep. Yeah. But the TV set, they, they they seem to at least have a better. Better luck with, I guess. Yeah. And uh, we just had um, Director by Night, a uh, little documentary. I haven't watched that up. yet. I wanted to, because I really enjoyed Werewolf by Night. Yeah, it's the director's brother who does it. And he's with them from, like, start to finish with the uh, production. So it seems interesting. Uh, so and that that was not supposed to be in German, right? Like that was just no. Me that was, that was the, I don't okay. know how you Doesn't did mean. that uh, because I was t- clo- turn on closed captioning. Because so I went to cause turn on closed captioning, and Deutsch with our Deutsch was like top of the list for like audio track apparently. So when I like went to my audio settings, I must have touched Deutsch and then went over to closed captioning English. Not realizing that I touched, that I was sw- switching the audio track, mm. and I'm like, "Oh, this is a very interesting." And then I'm like, "Wait, their mouths aren't really like it's. They're not actually speaking, you know, German here." So I, I went back and put it in English. And I have to say, Werewolf by Night in German, pretty, pretty, pretty. It has that kind of like art house feel to it. Uh, I I really enjoyed Werewolf by Night, and I can definitely see it working in in German. Um, something else we have. To, uh, John brought this to our attention earlier today, uh, but we actually had the artist for Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Kevin O'Neill, pass away. Um, he hadn't done a lot of comic book work in the more recent years, but it seemed to be any time Alan Moore wanted to crank out another LXG spinoff comic book, uh, Kevin O'Neill was there to do it. And while it's been a long time since we've read this book, I do have fond memories of it. And I know we've kind of poo-pooed Alan Moore. We've written him off. He's retired from comics. Like, he no longer does any comics work, and he just seems to still like to be that curmudgeon that talks down about the medium that he loved and made famous back in the 80s. But it's sad to see one of the artists pass away because one of the things that Alan Moore would always do is he would not want his name on any of the properties based off of his works. And then he would always give the money that he would have made from that movie to his co-collaborators. So... Hmm. So... Sucks because, you know what, I, I will say... League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is probably one of the better Alan Moore comics because I'm not a huge fan of Watchmen, not a big fan of V for Vendetta, not a big fan of From Hell. Like, I think League's kind of like, if I had to pick, would probably be the Alan Moore book that I would pick up and reread now, having been a fan of this medium for, you know, 20 years consecutively now. Yeah. Um, and definitely. Uh a good artist. I like his style. I really love this style in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'm trying to see if I have it on my shelf. I don't see it. You, you probably do somewhere. Oh, it, it, it's there somewhere. 
Sports in a. I'm not a big fan of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and I'm not a big fan of a lot of the Alan Moore, like you know, of that era work. Um, I do own the Alan Moore Greatest Stories Ever Told, like for DC, and okay, I understand why the Killing Joke is like held up, but I like the Green Lantern story that he did about uh, the, the Bell F Sharp Bell. You know, yeah, I think I like that the, has like the what to get for the man who has everything. Yeah, which, which apparently is the, the only adaptation of his work that he actually like signed off on and liked. Was that episode of Justice League Unlimited? Which is a great episode. It's a great episode. Uh, you know what's probably my favorite of his uh, the stuff that he did uh, top ten. Mm. That was like the superhero police one. Yeah. Right? Okay, that one was pretty good. I do remember liking that one, but I, the details on it are hazy now because it's <clears throat> been probably like 15 years since yeah. since I've read it. It was like the, the robot guy with the Doberman head. You had the cowboy guy, you had the big blue dude. Uh, he I did, did another bad that book around that time, too, where it was like a more fantasy-based one. Tom I can't Strong. remember the name of that one. It's no, a- Tom Strong was kind of like his art deco superhero. I can't remember the name. It was... It was kind of like a, um, oh, it's like a troll with like a, like a, a spunky girl sidekick buddy. Can't remember the name of it. I can't either. But all, uh, but you know, Kevin O'Neill, because getting, <laughs> and we're trying to eulogize the guy, and uh, Alan Moore's figure looms so large that we ended up <laughs> just talking about Alan Moore's stuff. Um, no. Uh, his work had a very, like, I, I haven't read it in years, but a very pencil like, straight line, focused, old-timey look to it. Yeah, and that's why and, it fit um, the story of uh, Leave Extraordinary Gentleman. And I think it's very well drawn. I just couldn't get into it because the Invisible Man Madness is just such a creep in it, and I hated that. And, uh, yeah, so it bounced right off. No worries. Um, But, you know, it's always sad to see a creator, especially one that's, like, a beloved and hardworking one, go. Especially since, uh, who was in... (laughs) It's probably canceled now, but wasn't Warner Brothers going to put out another uh, Leave Extraordinary Gentleman movie? Uh, Probably at some point. I think they were. Yeah, but... But maybe I don't know if you guys are ready for your next beer, but I do have something else that I wanted to play. And much like the actual opening, I will send this to Paul so it does come through better on the actual audio that we're playing. But hopefully you guys can hear this okay uh, over my phone through through Skype. Hey, Chris, John and Paul, this is producer Scott. Congratulations on 500 episodes. As you know, most podcasts don't make it past one episode, so you guys are in rarefied air. The top 1%, even even less than the top 1%. You guys went from a time when you said, hey, we have a podcast, and people said, what is a podcast, to a time now where it seems like everybody has a podcast, and I imagine everyone wishes that they had started back when you guys did. And to do it for this many years so consistently and so well to keep the same amount of energy 
and enthusiasm into it as he did right at the beginning. I'm super proud to say that I was part of that first year. You guys introduced me to a lot of pop culture that I, I wouldn't have otherwise been following. You introduced me to a bunch of beers that I had no idea existed and really enjoyed. And I probably partook in just a little bit too much uh, in that first year. But but hey, I was I was 26 at the time. And plus, I had Gatorade. Um, so thank you so much for letting me be a part of it. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of episode 500, too. Congratulations. I wanted to share my favorite moment as part of it was the beer draft. It was in Paul's basement, and we, we each drafted beers. And that was the first time I tried a Pliny the Elder was that night, which I think I got for like $2. I was so thrilled. So congratulations on 500 episodes. I guess good luck on 500 more. Cheers. So if you haven't listened in a long time, that was producer Scott, who's really the reason why we got started with all this. Uh, producer Scott, he's he's still out and about doing his own things. Uh, catch him over on YouTube channel, Perfect Little Camper, where he's traveling around the country with his family in their perfect little camper, which I have seen when he came down uh, to Disney a couple months ago. And guys, I have to say, it's delightful. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but Scott, thank you for setting in that uh, yeah. that little clip. Definitely appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. For being part of the family. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, it was one of those things that Paul, I think Paul was the one that said, we should do a podcast. And I initially was like, what the fuck's a podcast? And then um, I think we went to Scott and was like, what is a podcast? And he's like, I got everything you could need and I'll build even more stuff. Like he built yeah. he built onto his desk and had with those big microphones that come up on the arm and over our things. And he kept telling us, like, this microphone was used for the Michael Jackson Thriller uh, recording. It's the, the Yeti Snowball. That's the type of <laughs> microphone that I bought to do this still because I knew, hey, need to get one of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Scott. It was very – and yeah. Chris, thank you for reaching out to Scott to say – Yeah. Um, so he sent me a bunch of other stuff too. So he has a bunch of older episodes that he gave me access to. I don't know if it's stuff that you can still get on – you know, your podcasting uh, platforms. So I'm going to see if those are on our feed. And if not, some of them I will try to add back in. He also sent me a bunch of videos for when we used to be on the Ustream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because Ustream. we would stream our full episodes. So I have clips of that and some full episodes of that as well. So I'll be putting those up on our YouTube within the next week, too, just to share those because it's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much, Scott. Yeah. And I really appreciated all your, you know, we wouldn't have really started. We wouldn't have gotten off the ground without you. Um, so thank you so much. Also, man, you stream. <laughs> we were on that before Twitch was a thing. So when I was talking, when I was talking to Scott too, when he did the introduction for that intro that you heard up at the front mm -hmm. of the show, he had to say to, I, I forget what it was, but it was like, streaming to your like listening device because he felt bad because Paul had a zoom <laughs> and he had to like kind of acquiesce that yes there's other platforms out there besides just Apple like iPods yeah. at that time mm -hmm. because iPhone wasn't a thing when we started this that's 
crazy. Uh, but it was like, yeah, I have to say listening to Vice because Paul was like upset that it's like, guys, Zune's a thing. And this is and now, now the Zune's a joke in Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> Paul. How does that make you feel? Still culturally irrelevant. Uh, yeah, and Chris, um, our, we have... The, it goes back 11 years with episode 62, so I imagine he gave you stuff well before that. Um, uh, we have stuff from episode 62, which is there. Uh, the Windows 7 Party, which was episode 11. Uh, clips from episode number 2, and then some random ones from 2009, 2010, and 2011. So uh, they're all added to a Google Drive, so I'm going to have to... Wow. To dig into that. I might cherry pick. I might kind of do like a best of like the basics. Next time I have like random week off because I still have like 60 hours of vacation <laughs> time I have to use before the end of the year. That's, um, that's got to be nice. I used all mine. I used all of mine on a sick child. Bad would much rather use it to edit podcasts together. Yep. <laughs> but do you guys have another beer you're ready to get into, or are we going to take it a little bit slower? Uh, no, because I'm not going to finish this Firestone, but I went and grabbed another throwback beer that's on the shelves uh, again, and that is from Lionitas, and this is their Maximus Colossal IPA, coming in at 9%. Uh, nice. Definitely a throwback, bigger malty kind of florally hops to it. I imagine they've probably given it a bit of a facelift um, versus what this beer used to be, uh, but incredibly smooth for 9%, and coming in at the same price as regular Lagunitas IPA at like ten ninety nine. So uh, can't go wrong with that. I don't think I've had a Maximus in forever because little something-something kind of became my... Oh, I see this. I get it. And even then, I think it's been so long, I can't remember if I liked Maximus more. But well, I think it's to the point now, if I did see it out, I would probably just be like, oh, well, give me a little something, something set. You know what we loved more than Maximus? Hop Stupid. Oh, so, oh yeah. I, don't, I barely remember that, too. Hop Stupid used to come in the bomber bottles, and then it finally was in, like, six-pack bottles. And that was... My favorite beer from Lagunitas. Uh, but yeah. <clears throat> Remember bomber bottles? Like those were, <laughs> that was the Bagnet Board Cast Boy's choice. Well, it was so good because we would, you know, there's three or four of us, or maybe more, depending on who was sitting in with us for that episode. Uh, it was enough beer for us to kind of like pour out because we didn't do full pours. There was a time where we just poured into like little, they were the little plastic cups, almost like you would take, you know, cold medicine out of except smaller so everyone would just literally get a sip and we would like rate the beers based off of that and depending on how we felt about each one of those beers we would divvy them up and whichever beer you liked the most you got you that. got the rest of the like the bottle or the can yeah it was fun back in the day it's also probably a lot more like cost effective to do it that way instead of all of us buying like a ton of beer every week now but also we all live separately like it's yeah. not like yeah john and i live together and paul lives down the street anymore you know yeah yeah we've walked to paul's to record an episode because we knew we were gonna drink a lot <laughs> uh, paul you have another you have another one you want to talk about or not yet who me i well i got another non-alcoholic here it's uh 
70 calories because, you know, I can't talk about the ABV. But this is the Oktoberfest from Athletic. Does it have any IBUs in it, though? What? Does it have any IBUs? I don't understand that. Those three letters together. Um, I don't know what you... What's the runtime on it? (laughs) The the runtime is... uh, it has uh, 70 calories, 16 grams of carbohydrates, 1 gram of protein, 0 grams of fat, ingredients, water, organic Vienna malt, uh, malted barley, wheat, hops, and yeast. Uh, but, Paul, it's also 20 IBUs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know. understand the internet, uh, intergalactic uh, blaster satellites. I don't know. You forgot or, the U. Uh, yeah, you oh, put an yeah. S instead of a U. <laughs> that would be IBS, that's and that's a whole different um, thing, right? <laughs> I do want to say, Paula, they did move everything around in my beer store, and there is now like a two full like shelf section. I think each one of them is maybe about like three feet, so maybe like six feet of display case uh, for just non-alcoholic beers. And every time I walk past it to get my beers for the show, I'm always like, oh, they have, like, the Partake. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I can't remember, like, some of the other ones that they have in there now. And I'm always like, oh, like, some night I should do this. And they just, I haven't. So I think, I'll do it for you, Paul. Sometime I think non-alcoholic beers are a little still too expensive for what they are. You know, it's, you know, $10.99 for a six-pack of non-alcoholic beer, I think it's expensive because it is a replacement. It is a, it is a step down. Like even this, this is decent for a non-alcoholic beer this October. Yeah, but there's more, and I, there's more steps into brewing a non-alcoholic beer. I, and you still have packaging and canning and facility Mm -hmm. and trucking it out. So there's, so mm-hmm. many factors, but they're actually doing more steps to that beer to get it to be nearly non-alcoholic. Okay. But it's still not for the price of in the. It, I don't think it's there yet. No, that's but what it's, I'm saying. It, it's a luxury. It's, it's not, a luxury yeah. item for you. Because mm-hmm. honestly, if you're trying not to drink, you can just not drink. Yeah, I could just not drink. I and could you just have could spend water, which is you could hurt. spend six ninety nine on the Labatt's or Budweiser one. That's not going to taste nearly oh. as good as what that place is trying to put out. They're trying to put out something that tastes good, mm-hmm. so they're using better ingredients to do that. Sorry, I, I it's it's all right. You should bristle. You bristle all you want at it. You should, but as just the lowly consumer. Uh, it's for it's still not like I wouldn't be drinking the non-alcoholic beers if it wasn't for the podcast. Like yeah, I, would, but you buy them. You you buy them. Too. I was trying to get into. I was trying to get into them, trying to get see which ones I liked, and get, I, I've now spent <clears throat> what two three years at, at this, and I haven't found one that I'm like, okay, this is definitely like. I'd rather have this than just drinking seltzer water or making up tea or any of the variety of the cheaper options um, that are out there. You know, they're decent. They're not good. But 
you're also marginally the consumer for it as someone who is on call. Do you remember when yeah. you were a vegetarian, Paul, and you mm-hmm. gave me a piece of your vegetarian bacon yeah. and said, mm-hmm. this bacon is so good, it tastes Don't. just like bacon, and I took a bite mm-hmm. of it, and I was like, what are you talking about? And you told me not to ruin it for you? That's mm-hmm. what these NAs are. These are for people who yeah. want to have something socially but can't have beers with alcohol. Right. But it's not okay. what you want it to be. And I think yeah. you're going to have – I think it's the, I think we're still – It's the I, vegan I cheese or like rice milk mm-hmm. argument. Like, yeah. yeah, it fills that hole, but it's it's not there yet. Like it's it's a, an approximation. Mm-hmm. It's not like a wonderful one. Like, again, like I'm a meat eater. Like I'm – fine with it like i respect people that are vegetarian or vegan but anytime i have like a vegan substitute for something i'm like mm-hmm. okay i can get if this is what it, it feels bad to say it. if this is what i had to eat like i i could do it but i i'm glad i don't the only thing i'll say is like a good stand is like the beyond meat because mm-hmm. every year now at the epcot like food and wine festival or like flower and garden Beyond has a booth there, and the Beyond stuff's just really good. And you're like, okay, like this, it, this is what it needs to be. It shouldn't taste like that. Like it just doesn't make sense. It's weird. It's like it's so good for for old gym mats. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, All I'm saying is, like, when Chris is like, "Well, I should pick up some," and I'm like, I couldn't recommend it to anybody that was. If you got the option to buy beer or buy the non-alcoholic, just buy beer. Yeah. Because even the like low ABV stuff, like all day IPA, that kind of stuff, tastes better and delivers more than these non-alcoholic. Um, I do enjoy the like the athletic and also non-alcoholics that try to be not like brown ales or try to be you know darker beers. So this Oktoberfest, they they're delivering on a flavor profile. That I think works better than just hop. Uh, so the Oktoberfest, when that came in, I ordered twelve cases of it and four, four six packs to a case. That beer was sold out from the distributor right after I ordered those twelve cases. I couldn't get any more in, and that beer was sold out within a week and a half because. Mm. It was something different that people who are N.A. beer drinkers for specific reasons liked. They needed it. They wanted it because, Mm -hmm. like you said, it wasn't the same thing. We have the stout in right now because that's their seasonal from Athletic for the winter, and it's selling. Mm -hmm. I'm ordering two to three cases a week for it like because it's something different. For those people who... Specifically, can't drink beer anymore. Right, right, and it's a good substitute for that. But I can't recommend it for somebody that's like, well, I see it at the beer store. I should give it a whirl. I'm like, eh. no, I. It's I think it's too pricey for that. I look at them giving it a whirl. I look at them all the time, going, I should try more of these so I can speak more to my customers <laughs> about it. But as someone who I like. It's not something I can just crack open in the store and drink. Mm-hmm. 
I have to purchase it myself most of the time to take mm-hmm. home. And I'm like, it's just not worth it for me to, to do that. Right. right. Every, once in a, and I've, every once in a while, like when Lagunitas put out their one, yeah, I took a bottle of that home and tried it and went, I was expecting something so much better from Lagunitas. But yeah. <laughs> the Harpoon, I think, is better than the Lagunitas. I, I, I thought the, things the Harpoon needed okay. I think the Lagunitas was awful. The hop water they put out was good. But Chris, what are you drinking? I see that can. That is a Rogue, and that's the Bat. It's, is it the Bat? It, it is. It's a Rogue Bat Squash. This is their hazy IPA. This is a beer I've actually had a lot of over the past couple months because this is one of the beers that they had on tap at Halloween Horror Nights here at Universal Studios Orlando, just down the road for me. So I'm missing Halloween Horror Nights something fierce. It's one of my favorite things about being in Orlando. So the only way I can drink this beer is out of my souvenir Halloween Horror Nights blinky cup. Ooh. That's right. Um I spent the $15 for this cup. I'm going to be using it as long as I can. Uh, but ultimately, I think what Rogue has here is an incredibly drinkable, hazy IPA. And I know IPA scares a lot of people away. Um, when Yanni and I were going to Universal in the lead up to Halloween Horror Nights, and this is like that hardcore theme park nerd bullshit where it's like oh let's go today and see if they have signs up for something like when they were building all of the booths for halloween horror nights and they started putting up the drink tents one of the first things i was looking for is because i was like oh hold on i can see tap poles over there let me go see what they have and i was like okay they have the hacker shore again oh the whole head pumpkins back and then i was like oh there's a rogue one and i thought it was going to be the rogue dead guy ale because dead guy Halloween Horror Nights, it just makes sense. But then it was Bat Squatch. I was like, okay, that's cool. That's a beer I've never had before. And I think Universal made the right pick because it's an IPA, but it's a nice, light, hazy one. It's 6.7% ABB. It drinks like a session, though. Like, it's so smooth. There's not a lot of, like, that hot bitter to it. It's much juicier. You get a lot more, like, that citrus to it. I think this is a great entry-level IPA, and for them to put this at an event that gets, you know, thousands and thousands of people walking through a night as something that's like an approachable beer, uh, I don't fault them for this at all. And this beer is actually the main reason why I grabbed the sampler pack I'm going to be having for the rest of the night, because I want to get this beer just to have it home, to think back to fonder days. Uh... I'm glad I got my bat squash in here, boys. Mm. Ah. Yeah, bat squash mm. is uh, a nice beer. It's really good. And also, like, the can art's just cool. Like, it's got this, like, cool bat guy on it. Like, the color is, like, teal and pink. Like, the artwork for it's fantastic. So, I don't know. I like it. And you know what else I like? The comic books that are coming out... Uh November 16th, 2021. 2022? Ah, yeah, 2022. Because, boys, we read comic books every single week, and I'm looking forward to hearing what Paul's picking up. Ooh, what I'm picking up is a book that was suggested to be by my good friend, John. That guy right there. 
Hi. <laughs> this I'm is John. This is Star <laughs> Stargirl, The Lost Children, number one of six is a limited series written by Jeff Johns. That's right, it's Jeff Johns coming back to uh the character that he created um for DC Comics, uh, with Young Justice Illustrated Todd Nook. And uh, this is Stargirl teaming up with uh, Red Arrow. Um, and they're going to try to figure out what's happening to all these Golden Age teen characters. What, where are they? They're disappearing. What what happened? What's happening with them? So uh, it seems like they're slowly introducing the Golden Age kind of um, continuity back into DC Universe. So hopefully this is part of that and we'll actually get more of this the golden age characters back cuz uh, i miss i miss having that legacy at dc that long like deep history that oh yeah this character has been around since the 1940s or all these characters were there and they went away and now they're back you know like you know, Jeff Johnson, uh, oh, I can't remember the other guy's name, but the writer of Starman, um, oh. did over at, um, over at DC with their James Robinson? Yep. Yeah, James Robinson. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank I got you on that one, but no worries. But, uh, yeah. So that's what I'm excited to pick. John, did you see this book and say, oh, this is a Paul book? Or were you like, oh, I might pick this if Paul doesn't pick it? No, I said, oh, this is a Paul book. I'll send it to Paul so he doesn't have to look for a book. Because mm, I thank you. saw a Stargirl, and I was like, oh, Paul, I want to read this. And, and you, you said to yourself, I'm going to read something else. Yeah. And what, what book is I'm going to pick up Batman, One Bad Day, Mr. Freeze, number one, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Matteo Scalera, and Gotham City is under... The coldest winter it's ever seen. It's so cold, Mr. Free. How cold is it? Mr. Freeze doesn't need to wear his cold suit. He can just walk the streets as nude as can be. Uh, wow. And uh, this is a throwback with uh, Dick Grayson as Robin. And Robin is feeling very empathetic towards Mr. Freeze and wants to help him save his wife. But Batman's warning him. You gotta be careful. Being empathetic with Mister Freeze may not be the smartest thing. Uh, Seven ninety nine for this book. I do enjoy me some Mister Freeze. Sixty four pages. Uh, but I kind of want to check it out when they can. If they can make me feel the way that Batman the animated series made me feel about Mister Freeze. Then they've done a good job, and I'm hoping that it'll be something like that. There was a, was it Penguin or Riddler One Bad Day that came out last week? Because I saw it on the shelves, and I think I it was the Penguin. It was a spin out of something else. I thought so too, but I guess it's a, like a series where it's like One Bad Day and it's telling a throwback, like a new writer throwing, doing like a throwback story for. A classic rogue character. Ah. Interesting. Very. Uh, guys, I'm looking forward Chris, to Chris, what are book. you looking forward to? I don't know. Because 
I was just going to pick a book to have something to talk about because I only have two actual comics on my pull list for this week. And then as you guys were talking about your books, I was uh, trying to pull up the solicitation so I could look at them as well as you were describing it. And I found a bunch of other stuff that I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Oh, that sounds kind of cool. So I'm leaving it up to the two of you to pick my book for this week, which will be my pick for the November look back. Oh. So I'm counting on you two to make a decision about a book you want to read and discuss at the end of the month. Ooh. Because right now I'm going back and forth between Murder World Avengers number one and Star Wars Hidden Empire number one. Uh, oh. Murder World number one is written by Jim Zub, and it's following a documentarian who's going to expose the truth behind Murder World. Uh alongside the Avengers. So it sounds kind of cool because it's the Avengers in Murder World, which I've always only ever seen the X-Men in there. And then Star Wars Hidden Empire, number one, uh, written by Charles Soule, is uh, about the crime syndicate Crimson Dawn with its later Kira from Solo, uh, who's one of the galaxy's most wanted criminals as she's making a power play against Emperor Palpatine with the Knights of Ren at her side. Star Wars comics uh, have gotten crazy, guys. Yeah, like, I would go with Star Wars because that sounds I, cool. And the I cover's cool my toes. too. It's cool. I I always try to pay attention to the Star Wars comic books because I love this universe. I love comic books. But I'm very much in the mind frame of like, oh, I'll just buy the trades when they go on sale. Oh, I'll buy the trades when they go on sale. So I've missed like a couple years because I have a bunch of other stuff to read that I haven't yet. This sounds dope though <laughs> alright uh, yeah Star Wars Hidden Empire number one written by Charles Soule art by Stephen Cummings that's my pick for the week and that will also be my pick for the November 2021 look back so you guys already know what you'll have to buy yeah for the 2021 Ooh. I feel like I'm a little late it's okay because you know you're always going to be early for a dramatic reading? No! Uh, I have another thing I want to play for you guys real oh, quick. Okay. Same as before. I'm going to play this now. If it doesn't come through, I'm going to send you the audio. But uh, hopefully it plays okay. Hey guys, it's friend of the show, Ed. Congratulations on the Big 500. <laughs> it seems like just yesterday we were drinking the worst of the worst beers trying to figure out which of those was the best. Here's to another 500 more. Hey. Yes. He's a super friend of the Ed, show. Ed is a he, super friend of the show. I don't I don't think he knows that, but he he's also just a super friend in general. <laughs> he is. Uh, but that that was a fantastic day where we all brought really bad beers and actively like partook in trying to figure out which one we liked the best. And honestly, I don't remember what Jenny one. Jenny Creamail. Was it? brought it, yeah. That's a good one. I also don't remember what wound up winning uh, Double IPA Day, but that was just because I think I was really drunk at the end of that day. Yeah. Uh, The blind testing of all the IPAs, yeah. And Newcastle Brown won Best of the Bad Oh, Newcastle's really good, too. Best of the Bad Beers from around the world. Yeah, International. Right. And we had more people for that. Uh, we had a lot of people for that one. 
Yeah. Say, did we have That's, Boddingtons that at that one too? I don't think we had Boddingtons. I think. Oh, I love. We love. I don't know if I can bring Boddingtons to a bad day because of Boddingtons. Exactly. Just, uh, that was that was. Uh, I think the the whole thing with that one. Yeah, we used to do a lot of fun stuff when we were younger, and we had more freedom. Well, also, like, and we could also be to actually together. We could all hang out, and we would plan those days where it's like, "Hey, we're all off tomorrow. Let's let's drink." Bunch of crappy beers. Yeah. Seems like this is all leading to someplace like Chris is announcing he's moving back to Buffalo. It's oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I know it's not happening. But the only thing it's leading to is a dramatic reading. And now, a dramatic reading from Fallout Toy Works, number one, page eight, panel three. Uh, we held off, ca- off on the calling... To let it self-adjust and all, like you said. And obviously, I didn't want to mess too much with the emotional dials. You know, just just in case. But it was like depressed or something. It's a dramatic reading from Fallout Toy Works, number one. Page 8, panel 3. Comic book that I bought and never read on Comixology. Uh, It was written by Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy. It's about Mm. sad robots that people buy to have them be their, like, friends. It was like a $1.99 comic, I think, and I was like, oh, I love comics, I love Fallout Boy. Let's go! And it was just one of those things that fell down the digital stack of shame. Yeah. It's okay. It happens. It happens. And you know what else happens? That's going to head us into our main topic. Like we said up at the front of the show. Hey, happy 35th birthday, Mike Tyson's punch out for the NES. Uh, I didn't have a lot of Nintendo games growing up, uh, but this is a game that my uncle actually had, and he let me borrow it. And you... I could swear this was a game that was made for the arcade because it was really hard. And looking up the list of characters, the furthest I ever got was actually up to Great Hippo. Or I'm sorry, no, Great Tiger. King Hippo was the last boss that I could beat. Uh, It's just a game of boss fights over and over and over. And when you're like a six-year-old kid... It's really hard. I was not prepared for this, uh, which is what led me to bringing this title to the table. Uh, these are video game TKOs, games that you just never finished for one reason or another, uh, because Mike Tyson is definitely one of those games because, yeah, I played it when I was six, but I remember carrying that memory through my life just being like, oh, that game was hard. All repetition. I was not prepared for that. At yeah, that age. and there was also like, there's all like these tells that you can know when you're supposed to punch and when you're supposed to block. But if you're not, you're, you're just focusing on the game. You're not looking at the how to beat the game kind of a thing. You know, it's like every time like the one camera flashes, you know to block against King Hippo. You know, it was like some of that stuff with that game and and just a lot of those games. Because when you when you mentioned this, my the first thing that came to mind were 
all of the Nintendo games that I had as a kid that were so incredibly hard to a six-year-old. Like you said, Chris, like six, seven, eight, like these games were so hard to have. And I had all the superhero games. I had X-Men. I had Silver Surfer. I had Punisher. And they were all incredibly hard. I had Uncle Fester's Adam's Family game. Fester's Quest. Again, incredibly hard. Um, And again, like, did the games get easier as I got older? And did I just get better at games? Which is probably the latter. I got better at games. And it's like, I would like to go back and play those games again. But at the same time, I don't, I don't care to. Ninja Turtles. Remember Ninja Turtles for the the Nintendo? That that might be on, that might be on the list. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I kind of went more towards famously <laughs> more towards uh, more recent games as I consider myself somewhat of a not as a gamer now um, because those games I, half of it was me being their tough games and the other half me being too young to really play those. But yeah, Paul. So Paul, why don't you get us started off? Uh, one of your well, video game go, TKOs. Uh, I'm going to go back to a, a old the game that was released in 1986. It was uh, released on uh, PC Macintoshes. Uh, I played it on an Amiga system, which was a competitor to Apple's, uh, you know, Apple computers. Um, and this is Sierra's The Black Cauldron. This is a Walt Disney Pictures uh, licensed action-adventure game. A movie that didn't like, work. How did the video game go? The The video game, you know, pretty cool. It, it was, uh, you know, text-based, like, kind of like, um, see, you, know, you know, Sierra makes those uh, adventure point-click adventures. Yeah, King's Quest. So it's in that kind of style, but it's before point and click. So you would have to, you know, move your character with the keyboard, and basically then, uh, you know, uh, options would pop up on the screen with what you wanted to do. Um, so think of a. I think there might have been some pointing and, you know, some using the mouse in that as well. I just, you know, I'm having a hard time remembering it. And. This game, you know, when you when I had to climb up the wall to get up to get into the castle with the Horn King, and the Horn King was so scary. It was like I was a little kid, and I had to have like my I had to have somebody in the room with me to play it because I was afraid the Horn King was going to get me. Um, but the reason why it's a TKO, not only because it was so scary for you know back then and when I was a little kid uh, but also nobody in my family figured out actually how to get the true ending like uh, spoilers for the Black Cauldron the movie um, you, you, you're, Gertie is the th- creature that actually jumps in and sacrifices himself in order to destroy the cauldron everybody in my family we could only get to the point where we get the Black Cauldron and um, oh, what's the guy's what's the main kid's name um it starts with the t anyways your character like you i always ended up sacrificing on myself and jumping in the cauldron 
and then it would give you an ending, but it wasn't the actual good ending. Like your score wouldn't be like the top score. So, um, yeah, this is the Black Cauldron by Sierra Games. Uh, so I didn't know that the Black Cauldron, which famously troublesome movie for Disney, like this movie almost shuttered Disney animation for good. Like they almost stopped making cartoons because of how big of a failure this movie was. I didn't even know it had any kind of tie in stuff. So literally well, when it's going to be a really big success. They, they, they assumed so. it was going they, to be. Uh, so mm-hmm. when you Google it, the very first thing that comes up is the Black Cauldron video game Wikipedia. And then the second thing that pops up is download the Black Cauldron from DOS Game Archive. And I'm like, oh, that's Ooh, actually kind of cool. <laughs> like, um, but and I, hey, it, might have it's rated uh, at five stars with a audience rating summary on Google. Only one person's rated it, though. So I don't know. Um yeah, There's I, a play it online. I don't know. Paul's night's plan now. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Guys, never mind. I can play it online. See you guys later. Uh, that's what I'm doing. That's okay, because I feel like that style of game was difficult because I feel like that's a very early video game, and they were trying to do the best that they could with like the resources available, and some of that stuff was so difficult because you knew what you had to do, but it was all text prompt based. And if you couldn't type in what you needed to do, or you couldn't click on the right thing in the right order, you just couldn't go where you needed to go. Uh, But John, I'm going to jump in here because you literally mentioned one of the games that gave me the hardest time ever as a kid. And thinking back on it now, I'm not sad that I never got to finish this game, but I'm just mad that they made this game be this difficult. And that's the Nintendo Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, because you could get through that first level pretty easy. Like, it was just your typical platformer. It didn't matter what turtle you picked. You could get through that level. might have been a little bit difficult, but you got this, kid. I believe in you. But as soon as you would have to go up from the sewer to, like, the actual street level and it was top down and there was like the foot clan tanks that would just run over you in a second. I, I never got any further than that in this game. That was after the and swimming part too, right? I Cause the swimming that. part was like the hardest part. It was like near impossible. I think I only got through the swimming part like twice and then as soon as I got to the next part, I died instantly, and I only had, like, one turtle left, like, so. <clears throat> but what also makes me upset about this game is apparently at some point in it, there's a jump that's literally impossible to make. Like, the characters literally can't make the jump unless you're playing as Donatello, and at some point, like, like an enemy flies by, and you have to be at like the apex of your jump when that enemy flies under you, and then you can attack down with your staff, and that gives you just like the slight little burst you need to get to the level you need to continue. Because it's literally impossible unless you're playing as that character and that one thing happens to get you to that point. 
I much rather preferred the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game, which I had on Nintendo, mm-hmm. and that was a lot of fun. That game I had no issues with. Loved it. It's like playing the arcade game at home, but the actual Ninja Turtles game, holy crap. I'm surprised that didn't sour me as a Ninja Turtles fan for the rest of my life. Yeah. I had it for the Nintendo. It was near impossible to beat. I th- I think we rented that one, and it was a case of, like, I tried and tried and tried, and I just couldn't. And usually when I would rent video games, it was like a, can we rent it again situation? That was like, we can take this back. Yeah. But, John, what you got uh, on here? So mine is going to be The Order 1886. Uh, this came out, I believe, in, mm. I think, 2012? This game looked awesome. Uh, you were a monster hunter who got betrayed by his order, who has to solve the crime of his betrayal. You're fighting all these monsters. And then it's like, um, you know, like Thomas Edison's making you uh, different weapons and stuff like this. And you have all like... You got, like, power, and you're fighting werewolves, and there's all these amazing cinematic movies, but it's actually more cinematic movies than it is game. And the reason I put this on the list is because this game, for how cool it looked and how anticipated you were, was so short. It was ridiculous. I ended up beating the game. But it was only because it, you basically got half a game. There was almost nothing to do in the game. There was no replay value. Mm. And it was such an absolute waste of your money. But it looked So cool. I forgot about this game. It came out in 2015. 2015. So I think you're pretty close to like what you had said. Because as soon as you said the name, I had a thing. I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. And then when I pulled it up, I'm like, Okay, yeah, I I remember seeing like like the cover for this. But yeah, I do not I never played this. But that kind of sucks. Yeah, it was so cool. And your weapons you got were cool, but you'd get your weapons and then you'd end the level and then you'd start with no weapons again. So it's like, uh, I got that I did all that stuff to get that cool weapon and now I'm back with my pistol. And you got to find more new weapons and get this and do that. Uh, everything about it. It was just like, remember Rage? Uh, it w- Oh, that was like the apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah it was like yeah. more, quote unquote, re- From realistic Studios. version of like Borderlands. And again, like that one was like, mm-hmm. that one was one of those ones you played through and you're like, oh, I'll get to that side quest later. I'll do that. I'll finish the game and then I can go back and do them game's really short, but as soon as you beat the game, you don't stay in that world to do all your side quests. You have to start the game over again. And it was like, oh, well, I wish I had known that. I would have finished all the games before. And then you're like, well, I'll go to my last save. And then you go to your last save, and it's like, no, I'm in this battle. I'm at the end of the game. I can't get out of this to go back and play anything. Another one, just sucker. Just sucks you. Sucks. Uh, that rage came out when I actually worked at GameStop and one of the guys that I worked with, Brian was super excited for that game. Like he was all about it and it came out the next day 
came into work and they're like, oh, how's the race? And he's like, oh, I beat it. And he's like, you picked it up last night at midnight when we released it. Like, he he beat it in like one sitting, I think. Yeah, it was short. And then, like, ten years later, they announced Rage 2, which I don't even know if that ever like happened to that. I think out. it came out. I think people liked it, but they were mad it was, like, too much driving. Hmm. <laughs> That's how I felt about Batman Arkham City. Yeah. Uh, I quit that yeah. game, too. I quit that game just because I was so sick of driving. Mm-hmm. That sucks because those games were really great, but that was a common I complaint I heard about that one. I mean, this isn't on my list, but that's what made me quit playing Pulse Day or game Mass Effect because I had to get into this stupid tank and drive around go. on the moon. And, like, the handling on that thing was absolutely terrible. And it made me be like, yeah, this isn't fun. I feel the same way about um, Halo driving the Warthogs. I hated driving those. I've mm. never been a big Halo person. The only time I ever played it was Halo 2. Some nights, uh, some of the people I worked at Pack Sun with, they were really into Halo. So it was like, a, hey, we're going to have a Halo night thing because the one guy had two TVs in his basement. So we could do like two, two V2 like oh. co-op, which was a lot of mm-hmm. fun, but it wasn't any like campaign stuff because it was literally just run around the levels, find the weapons you want. Shoot, shoot at people. Oh, shooting people. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. like, I think it was called the Needler, but it was like one of the alien guns that had like crystals sticking out of it. You shoot yeah. into them, and then like if you attack them yeah, with a sword, it was like instant kill. It's really fun. Uh, who wants to go next? Uh, Chris, you go next. I will go next uh, because this next game that I played, I loved, but I had to quit just because I literally could not play it anymore. Because this is Bart versus the Space Mutants <laughs> for the NES. Uh, at this time, I was blessed as a kid because I had a Nintendo in my room. And I also had my aunt's old black and white TV that I could hook it up to. I don't know if you guys ever played Bart versus the Space Mutants, but a key part of the game is you need to spray paint over anything that is the purple. color purple in the levels. Playing it on a black and white TV basically made that impossible because everything was just gray. And I could get through the first level because I talked to people that told me what was purple in the level, so I knew what I had to spray paint on, like, the side of the wall, because the graffiti was purple, so I could keep progressing through. Uh, I, I literally could not play it, and that's such a weird barrier to entry for basically a kid's game. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think I wound up trading it into Zappers, <laughs> which was, like, the video game trade in, like, rental place, because I, I literally just couldn't play it, and I think... If I'm remembering correctly, I traded it in and I got Captain Skyhawk, which was like a top-down, like, pilot arcade shooter type game. Like, it was almost like R-Type. It was pretty cool, though. That one I was able to play, and I think I did. I had that game, but it was for, what is it, uh, Game Gear? The big brick? The brick. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I had dropped it. 
and I had a black bar across the top. So half, like little less than half my screen, I couldn't see. So if there was something I had to jump that was up there or do something, I couldn't play it. The only game I could play successfully on that was uh, like a Shinobi game I had. And it was just because if I jumped, like the screen moved enough that I could hit the landing and keep moving. But yeah, I remember playing that game. Paul, it doesn't sound like a game I should play. No, uh, it would it would be my turn, be. right? Round Robin, you want you go first? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know how we're doing yeah. it. Just whoever wants to go. Um, Freeform. Yeah, uh, mine is going to be the Shadows of Mordor and its sequel. Oh, that game looked really oh. cool. Okay. Uh, I bought the Shadows of Mordor. I played a little bit at the beginning, and then when it kind of starts to become, like, open world, you got to do this, you got to take out this guy and do this. Just awful. I could not get the rhythm of fighting. It just was so bad that I rage quit. I was just like, I fuck this game, fuck everything about it, I'm done. And then the sequel I got for free uh, on the PlayStation Network one month. And I was like, all right, I'll play this. Started playing that game, and I was like, okay, this is a little bit better. But then that game is just like, here's your like little level. You got to go in and kill everybody, and then you unlock this chest, and now you got a different suit of armor. But then if you don't get out of there soon enough... Like, all the characters, like, respawned, and then you had to fight your way out of it again. Just hated both games. Could not get into them. And I really loved um, the one uh, the one Lord of the Rings game. Oh, man, I forget which one. It was. Two Towers. No, I think it was, like... The Third yeah, Age. Yeah, was it The Third Age, where you just kind of... I don't know. The Third Age, it was an, it was a role-playing game where you were playing as another fellowship that was chasing no, after... No, it wasn't that game. The main, okay. I love that It was that a game, game like, this level you were Aragorn, and this level you were Gimli, and this level you were Gandalf. And you just would play through... I forget what game it was, but it was it was. I great. feel like that's just like one of the, was, the movie yeah, games. Yeah, but... It, was that on PS2? No, it was on Xbox. I'm pretty sure it was on... It. If it was... P- if it was like Xbox, they could have been the movie tie. It, it wasn't. Um, it you played Xbox through had... sections of the games, but it was like all of them. But it wasn't a set. Was it Lego no. Lord of the Rings? Because that game was. It really... doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, I love that game, nonetheless. I love that game. Hated Shadows of Mordor, and it was like everybody loved that uh, game, and I was like, I don't get it. Not one of my picks. But... I also bounced off. No, go ahead, Paul. I just had, uh, I had I a Lord of the Rings game. Off Shadows of Mo- <laughs> <laughs> I also bounced off uh, Shadows of Mordor just because, yeah, when it went open world, there was so much I could be doing. And I was r- running around, and then, you know, all of a sudden, like, the game would stop, and it would be like, Orc, the nose picker, you know, and it's like, okay, he's a named orc, and you, you kill him, and then, you know, this stuff would happen, and 
I don't know. I, it was just so big. It was, I still have it. It's something that I didn't rage quit. I didn't hate it. It was just like, okay, this is too much going on in this game that I, you know, I'm having a hard time keeping up with it. So I just stopped playing it. Uh, I Chris, also, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. That's okay. No, I, I want you to have a chance to talk about your games too. Cause I also had a Lord of the Rings game that I stopped playing and it was battle for middle earth which was like a real-time strategy game on the Xbox 360 mm. that I heard was actually a lot of fun. But when you're used to playing an RTS on something like a computer and then you have to try to adapt those controls to the Xbox controller, it was just kind of clunky and it just didn't feel right. Um, luckily, that was when I was at GameStop, so we were allowed to check out games and take them home to play for free. So I had literally nothing invested in it. So I had a lot of games that I took home and was like, I'm going to play this and just didn't get into uh, that being one of them. But Paul, what's your next pick? Oh, what does that, John go? I don't, I never know. Well, how. No, Paul. Yeah, Paul would go. <laughs> that makes me think of uh, what was the Jack Black video game? Uh, Epic Metal? Oh, Metal yeah, Black. that was fun. Oh, it was Tim Schafer. Did that one right? Tim Schafer, Jet Black. Did the, yeah, it, it was. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah, I can't remember the name of it. I pl- I played that one, and I got I played it, but I it. I got it deep into it, and then it became an RTS, and I'm like, I can't do it on a, I can't do it on Xbox 360. I can't do it. So I bounced <clears throat> off that game so hard there because I'm like, brutal, I do a brutal legend. Strategy. But it wasn't like brutal. Brutal legend. That's it, because it was like it was it was a mix of real time strategy and like just like tower defense. Like if that makes sense, like yeah. you set up tower. You know, they're sending out wave after wave. You're sending in wave after wave, and it's just like I don't know. I, I I'm like this is not working with this controller. I don't remember um, that in that. Game but I was going to mention. Yeah, I tried playing that one, and that kind of took me out of it, too, because I think if it had been kind of like a hack-and-slash-adventure game, it probably would have been, like, yeah. cheesy and fun. Like, I probably would have had fond memories of that game, almost like a uh, like a Darksiders or Medieval-type mm-hmm. thing, where it was like, it was like a Metroidvania-type thing. Like, could have been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And also, it was like, there were all these things to collect in it, and, like, You'd run into uh, the guy that Ozzy Osbourne, right? He he'd be selling stuff, and it was all kind of cosmetic stuff and stuff like. And I'm like, I don't just like I I didn't want to do all the collecting, and I didn't want to do the the uh, you know tower defense strategy sections. I just wanted to go around and like explore that world, and the world wasn't all that big either. Um. So, yeah, I, I bounced off of that one. And, uh, you know what? I'll just make that my pick. Because I already talked about Batman Arkham Origins uh, or with you. Well, we talked about Arkham City. I did finish that one. Arkham Origins I still have never finished because of a stupid bug in it. Where you get so far on the PC and in Steam. And if you did things in a, in the correct order, but wrong because it causes a crash to happen. And... I, so I've bounced off this the Arkham Origins at least three times. I bounced off of it the first time because I didn't like the it combat. Didn't, it didn't feel, feel like good. an Arkham. 
it didn't feel the same. So then I got into it and I'm like, okay, now, no, I get it now. I'm, I'm used to it. I'm good. This is happening. I'm liking it. Oh, crash. And I'm like, okay. And then like a couple years later, I tried again and I run into a different bug crash. And I'm like, this is in, you know what? It's the holiday season again. And Batman Arkham Origins set at Christmas. And I was like, honestly thinking about trying it one more time here. I mean, it's giving it probably, one more pass. It's probably been patched because that game came out like eight years ago. <laughs> that was yeah, actually the it last. It came out in 2013, yeah. That was the last Arkham game that I played. And I remember I hit a wall on that one in the Deathstroke fight. Because I knew what I had to do, but like just like the button pressing, I couldn't get it right to parry all of his attacks. And then finally, one day it happened, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm the Batman!" Like I felt so good that I finally got past it. That that game's probably the opposite of the TKO for me because I that when I rose to the challenge and like I I finally did it. <laughs> yeah, and those boss fights I didn't think were as good as. Like anything else that had happened in that one was done by a different games. studio. Warner right? Brothers. That one wasn't Rocksteady. Yeah, it's Montreal. Okay, I, yeah. I thought so. Instead of Rocksteady, wasn't one hundred percent sure, but yeah. thank you for making me feel validated, John. Your next uh, one. So my number one is uh, the real sad side, the real sad state of affairs because I absolutely loved Dishonored. Thought it was great. Played through it. I was going back and getting everything I missed. Uh, loved that game. So when Dishonored 2 came out, I was like, damn, I'm down, ready to go. And I just could not get into it the way I did the first one. And I thought, like, because the way the, the first one you play as... Like the king's or the queen's bodyguard, and you're trying to protect her. Uh, and then the second game, you can play as that character again, or you can play as a new character who's getting the same kind of shadow abilities that the first guy's getting, or the first guy had. So I was like, oh, I'll play her storyline, like for this one. And I just, like, wasn't loving the gameplay. Not playing as her, I, I don't think it mattered because when I played as I said, maybe it's maybe it is because I'm playing as, as her and she has different abilities. So I went back and played as him. And I was like, no, it's the same <laughs> It's the same. You just have a couple different abilities. Um Yeah, I just for as much as I loved the first Dishonored game. Was that the game that you could like send rats yeah. after people? Okay, that came out when I was working at GameStop, and I remember people talking about it and digging it, but it just, it didn't look like something that I was into at the time, so I passed on it. Yeah, I think, um, I, think we, I think we lived together at that point, so I probably could have played uh, I No, I got it. It was reissued okay. on, um, on the, I got it uh, reissued on the PlayStation 4. And I think it was like a it was a free game for the um, for your for subscribers and downloaded it because it was free and started playing it and loved it. And then uh, for Christmas or my birthday, Caitlin knew that the sequel came out and bought it for me, and I was like, 
awesome. Can't wait to play this. Love it. And just, just couldn't get into it. I don't know if it was too much rehashing of the first game or what that I just was like, nah, not doing it. And I was so psyched for the sequel. Like I think Caitlin got it me got it for me the week it came out as like an early birthday gift. I'm sorry. Right. So like Caitlin. Uh I do have another one. Do you guys have anything else you you want to talk about? No. Um the other games that I would mention you guys Okay. Cuz for me my final one and this is still something that I do want to go back to. Uh, this is Final Fantasy thirteen two. Oh. I love Final Fantasy, and I loved Final Fantasy thirteen. That game had a lot of people that didn't like it. I dug it. It was a lot more like action packed, very linear. But I was okay with that just because of like the story for it. And I was happy that they went back with thirteen two, and it was um, focusing on one of the characters from the first game, Sarah who was looking for her sister, who was the protagonist from 13, Lightning, and you were on the adventure to find out what happened to her and bring her back. This game came out when I was in my heyday in Xbox 360, so I was getting a game like every other week or at least every month. So I hit a point in it where I just stopped playing to play something else, and then when I tried to get back into it, I was RPG'd out because I was like, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what I was working on. I don't remember like the controls. I was, and at that point I was like, well, I'm just going to start over. And I never did. No. And a couple years ago when everything shut down for COVID, I told myself, Hey, I'm basically stuck inside. I'm not doing anything. I'm going to start replaying Final Fantasy 13. I'm going to play through that, and then I'm going to finally get back into 13 2, and I'm, I'm going to play that game. And then that just never happened because I started playing a bunch of other games. I got a girlfriend, so I had a life at that point, and then life just kind of took Final Fantasy away from me. But it's still something that I want to do someday. I I still have my Xbox 360 hooked up to my TV. I still have all my 360 games. I went to Goodwill the other day and I actually bought a couple other games because they were like five five bucks. Picked up Street Fighter Four, Resident Evil Five, and uh, Bioshock Two. So. If anything ever happens and like I'm stuck inside and I don't have internet, I at least have like solid games to get back into. Yeah, two is really good for Bioshock. I never played it. I played the first one, loved it, and then I played Infinite. Yeah, I think and really loved that one. But I never I played two. Two's my uh, oh man. I play. Yeah, I liked. I I don't remember. I liked. All, I remember liking all of them. Infinite's good. Infinite's so completely opposite because it's such a bright game because you're playing in the sunlight and not underwater. Mm-hmm. So, John, initially you misread the the assignment for this one and you thought 
By TKOs, we meant games. Well, you said like, you said games that knock you out, and I was like, "Oh, games that knock you out." So he wants the good games, and then the games that you hate. So, just for ending conversation, and on a positive note, what was the game that you gravitated towards? Was like, oh, like yeah, this one. Uh, this one's got uh, me. It's uh, the Borderland franchise. I mean. Anytime those games come out, I love playing them. And I've played all of them, except for, like, the Telltale game. And some of the, um, you know, the the DLC stuff. But all the physical games that have come out, I've bought. Uh, Chris and I have been playing uh, Wonderland together, uh, and I'm replaying that. And I love the spin on... Uh, Borderland with the being a D and D themed one, um, but also like Dishonored, I love that. Uh, Red Dead Redemption is just oh my god, Red Dead Redemption. I, I started replaying that just um, like last year. The ori- like it, the original, like the one that came out on three hundred and sixty, or Red Dead Redemption, 2? Red Dead Two. Yeah, okay. Red Dead 2, I just started I re- started replaying. Red Dead 2 is just... What's funny is I remember playing Red Dead Redemption, being like, I can't believe how beautiful this game is. And then I remember watching, like, videos of, like, oh, these are the interactions your character, John, has with all the people from Red Dead Redemption 2. And then you go back and you look at how that game is, and I'm like, oh, my God, what... What was I smoking? Like, these, this looks stupid. But Red Dead Redemption 2, beautiful game. Uh, great game. Fantastic game. Paul, do you have a game that knocked you out with love? It caressed you uh, with as, it, as it lowered you to the mat. It gave you, like, forehead kisses as you were being counted Butterfly out. kisses, That too. would have to be, uh, I would think, massive... I think uh, Mass Effect Two because it was a game that actually delivered on the process uh, on the promises that it it had. Um, it promised that you could carry over a character, and it you know choices mattered in the first game. You would see and run into other characters that you know um, would, would make reference to the choices you made uh, in the first game. It said that it's a suicide mission and not all your characters might survive and you, you can play through it and have that ending where characters don't survive. Does but when he- Li- Liara Tassoni survive? That's the only Mass Effect character I remember. She's not part of Mass Effect 2. Okay. In a, in a, so, uh, yes. That's what. So, okay. uh, with that DLC. So, yeah. She's not part of the suicide mission. So, yes. Uh, it delivered Fist in the Air going yeah i did it moments like you know when you're making right choices and do things well enough that your characters survive during the missions like uh yeah so that's the one because there were so many video games guys that promised the world remember spore i do i the the i never played everything game but I feel like Spore didn't promise everything as much as something like Good and Evil. Or not Good and Evil. Yeah. Uh, Black and White. Black and White. That one, yeah. Where you were like a god. Yeah. But that was like Peter Molyneux who was like, this video game's going to change history. 
And it's like, oh, it's well, that was it's a yeah. it's fabled too. <laughs> like, okay, um, yeah, it was it was great for me. It's actually going and uh, oh, go ahead, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you no have more I to say. I, I never want to cut you off. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, and then also the Shenmue series that finally got wrapped up, I, like because of Kickstarter. Oh, you were you were like a Dreamcast like, kid. I never played any of those, and I could yeah, based off of what I saw of Shenmue. It didn't look like anything that I was ever like, oh, yes, let me let me get into this. It's more of a passive... It's, it's a video game that you're not really there to play the game, the story. You're there to hang out in the world, which is a weird, small Japanese, like, coastal town. Where you're moving boxes at a warehouse. Like, that's a key aspect yeah. of the gameplay, and, right? And second one. Okay. Mm-hmm. I do. Want, I want to make sure I wasn't that's misunderstanding that. Yeah, you're there for the atmosphere. You're not there for the game. Paul likes Fair. work. Yes. The video game. <laughs> All right, Chris. What's what's your final uh, pick for me? This or, or what one did you? You're like, yeah, uh, this one. This wasn't a very difficult pick for me because it's actually going to just be Diablo oh, Two. Oh yeah. Diablo 2 is one of the video games that I've probably sank the most hours into, and I'm someone that still has a current World of Warcraft subscription that I play regularly. I spent so many nights playing Diablo 2, and then, like, two years ago when they released the Diablo 2 remaster, I got that, and it feels exactly the same. It's Diablo 2. And the only reason I'm not playing it is because... It's it's Diablo 2. I played thousands of hours of that game growing up. I don't need to play it again, but I guarantee you if I sat down and just booted it up, like once we finished talking, I could probably lose the rest of my night playing Diablo 2. Like, whether it's just jumping into a character I already have that I'm leveling, or just starting a new character and starting level 1 with my wooden club going through the Den of Evil. Like, that's a game... I know inside and out, and it feels just like comfort food. It's like mac and cheese. You just get into it, and you're like, ah, yes. I, uh, I know this. Yeah, I, I agree. Diablo 2, I didn't even think about it. Uh, Diablo 2, great. Diablo 3, I bought for the Xbox, and I bought for the PlayStation 4. Diablo 3 is so good, too. Um, yeah. I had a great summer where my wife and I played Diablo 3 every night together. And when we first started dating and moved in, and I, I have Diablo 2 PC discs, still have them. I think they were Paul's. I think Paul gave them to me because um, he had extras. Uh, mm-hmm. Your brothers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then pretty much we, we all had our own copies, and then we didn't need the copies because we downloaded our own the... Uh, digital copies on Battle.net or something, or at least they did. Um, but it was one of those things that we, every summer, like, we'd be sitting on the porch having a drink with my dad, and my wife would lean over and be like, you want to go kill zombies? I'd be like, sure, babe. John, my dad, my father's name is John, John, we have to go. I have to go kill things. And she'd, like, get up and start just walking away, and I'd be like, I, I gotta go, Dad. And then we used to pull... We used to pull, we had like a love seat couch, we'd pull it off the wall, like off the wall, right in front of the TV, because we were 
you're playing split screen. You want to be as close as you could be, baby, um, to play it together. And you got to have that oh, communication. Yeah. It's like when we would do like Left for Dead split screen. Like you gotta, you gotta talk to yeah. your buddy about like what's happening. Um, so yeah, like it was just like it was just one of those things. And I was like, oh man! And I grabbed the discs and was like, listen, you let's put it on the computer. And then we forgot we our our laptop that we have doesn't have a disc drive. In. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, she's like, well. Should we get rid of them? Like, no, baby. Like, we get another computer. We get a disk drive. This is going on there because you, she will lose hours playing it. You might be able to use your, um, like the key ID code off of it to just download it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Say, you have, you have options. Uh, anyone have any other games they want to mention? Anything? Real quick? Game you forgot killed you, or game you forgot brought you back to life? No. I think we're good. No. No. Well, that'll do it for episode number 500, but not really 500, because we record a lot of fucking podcasts. Uh, but thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our growth, and even if... You don't listen to this part of it. Hey, it doesn't matter. We just do this because we like hanging out and (laughs) drinking and talking about stuff that we like or don't like. Uh, If there's a game that kicked your ass, let us know. Emails over at beggingboardcast at gmail.com or on any of the social media posts for this here episode. 